0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer, the podcast where we sit back and sip on some fine ales while talking about all things spooky. My name's Alicia.
1: My name is Greg. How you doing over there?
0: (laughs) On the other end of this couch.
1: (laughs) I'm doing fine on this side, on the east side of the couch. How's the west?
0: It's, uh, squishy and cozy.
1: Squishy? Yeah, it's nice. I I thought that was the stiff side.
0: Well, I'm sitting closer to the middle where it's squishy. Okay. Yeah, so I guess I'm in the middle of the couch. Nice. What are you drinking?
1: I was about to ask you that.
0: I got to it first.
1: I am drinking a beverage by the Smog City Brewing Company, which I don't recall if I have had their beer before, but I know you have.
0: I have. I had their coffee porter, and it was fantastic.
1: I remember that, and it had a cool little label on it. Yeah. With a cracked out robot. Yes. So I have one of their dynamic pressure IPAs that is apparently part of a series of ever-changing experimental IPAs in which they try variations of different hops and stuff every 60 days.
0: Oh, that's cool. Which is pretty neat. So I wonder
1: if it's under the same name and they just change what it is or if they actually change the name of it. So I'll try it out. It's good. Is it? It Smells good too. It's got a nice robust smell and it's a very... That is a surefire, authentic, classic IPA.
0: Nice. Well, I'm happy to hear that. That's awesome.
1: I'm happy to drink oh, it. Oh,
0: wow. That smells fantastic. Yeah,
1: it's very nice.
0: It's so fresh. Mm.
1: It's refreshing. It has a citrus to it and the pininess that I like oh in God. some of my hoppier beers.
0: I love that You actually so like so huh? much. That is amazing. Wow. I, yeah, that's great. I would buy that again and drink it for myself. That is fantastic.
1: It's amazing how far you come.
0: I know. I think since we started this podcast, I've liked IPAs a lot more than I used to. Definitely. Significantly more. This is amazing.
1: So what are you drinking?
0: I have in my hand a very, very special treat of a beer. And I've been craving this one for a really long time. And for some reason, I just couldn't justify buying it for myself because it's pretty baller but you were kind enough to treat me to a four pack of it so this is from the new holland brewing company and it is a dragon's milk bourbon barrel aged stout that sounds really good it's pretty awesome from what i remember after having had one a couple days ago (laughs) (laughs) and it is 11 percent alcohol
1: (laughs) see on the other side yeah
0: (laughs) interested to see what comes out of my mouth after i finish this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I might have some amazing insight about this movie that I didn't before. Or I might just fall asleep. Oh man, it surprises me every time. It's very boozy, but not in a bad way. What do you <laughs> I mean boozy and food. <laughs> This is definitely food. This is like drinking bread. But yeah, you can definitely taste the bourbon flavors and then the delicious stout taste underneath. Do you want to try it? I do.
1: You really do like your liquid loves, don't you? I
0: do. That's like a really special beer. It feels like a something you would drink on a special occasion or as a treat.
1: That is really good.
0: Yeah, it's fancy. I feel fancy drinking this.
1: You said your mom likes stouts and stuff, right?
0: She's not super into the stouts, or at least not yet, but I've recently been getting her some porters to try, and she loves those. I'm
1: thinking she might like that one.
0: She might, yeah. I think she'd probably only be able to drink like half of it just because the porters alone are kind of heavy for her, but... I think she could sip on this and enjoy it. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. Thank you. We both have two delicious.
1: Thank you for getting my delicious beer. Sure. Look at us.
0: (laughs) Sharing friends.
1: Sharing is caring.
0: (laughs) Especially when it's beer.
1: The best kind of sharing. And that's what we need in this tumultuous and hate-filled times.
0: Yeah. It's really been a week from hell. Quite. Honestly. I'm looking forward to just sipping on this beer and talking about a horror movie.
1: Talking about killer clowns.
0: So the movie I chose for uh, kicking off Spooky Season was, of course, It from 2017. And this movie is about an entity that slumbers in the town of Derry, Maine and reemerges every 27 to 30 years to prey on children.
1: Oh, is it 27 if not a full-blown 27
0: cycle? Technically, it's 27 to 30. Oh. I think in this movie they say 27 so maybe we'll go with that just for the movie. But according to the book, and I think the 1990 miniseries, it's roughly 27 to 30. Give and then, take, yeah. and usually the reign of fear and terror lasts anywhere from a year to 18 months. Okay. According to the, the lore. The internet lore? <laughs> yes. So, of course, watching this movie, there are some scares in particular that bring back Very fond and frightening memories of things that used to scare me as a kid, you know, as we're watching these kids go through unspeakable horrors. And I thought it would be kind of fun if we went back and forth and shared some of the things that terrified us as kids.
1: Certainly. I'm sorry I'm laughing because we have Mr. Poopy Butthole, the stuffed doll on the couch, and you left (laughs) him hanging over so his butt was right in your face while you were talking.
0: (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and move him so he's sitting right next to us so he can listen in. Inappropriate. There you go, buddy. All right. That's better. What do you think? Does that sound like a good idea to you? It sounds great. All right. Do you want to go first?
1: Childhood fears?
0: Childhood fears. What scared little Greg?
1: Well, before I get too dark, I'll say that, and I've mentioned it before, with my dad dying at such a young age, my ideas of, like, childhood fear and things I was afraid of and stuff like that quickly became altered from childlike to not so much childlike after that point. Mm Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I can definitely think of a few things, and even afterwards, of course, because we're still stupid kids and we're scared of stuff. So I was thinking that one thing that was brought up in this movie was one of my favorite bit scares. I guess mm-hmm. is there's a scene with Stan the painting.
0: Yes, so good.
1: I love that one. That's still probably my favorite scene in the movie, to That's be honest. That's a great one. But there's there was a picture that my uncle had. In his house or a poster painting. It wasn't painting, but a piece of art. And it was very 80s. And it's iconic. I'm sure it was somebody that was pretty famous. And I could probably find it again. But to me, it's just the same type of artwork that you see on almost nail salons. It's like white, pink, black, purple colors. And then it's just a woman's face, but done very 80s. -hmm. Almost like silhouettes type of thing. Anyways, it was just a a big, uh, poster size piece of art, but her eyes were the, it was that type of painting where the eyes would follow you no matter where you were in the room. And I hated that thing. You know, I always felt, and I always felt like it like looked a different way, not just followed you, but the eyes were different every time I saw it. And so I always hated that painting and I was so glad when I finally was able to throw that thing away or he threw it away or, you know, took it, took it away. I just fucking hated that thing for some yeah. reason. And then it was pretty much in the same house because there was a place that was in Newport and long story short, same area. And I think I've also told the story with my sister's glass doll.
0: Yes. Oh my God. And the yes.
1: closet, you know, just sitting in the middle of the floor.
0: What episode was that? Was that Nightmare in Elm Street? Because oh. I was talking about a dream I had about dolls. I don't remember.
1: I don't either. But it was in one of the previous episodes. Aside from those two of being kind of a supernatural-ish thing, mm-hmm. I think most of my fears were pretty logical. I was somewhat afraid of roller coasters when I was pretty young.
0: Okay. And I
1: remember going to Northbury Berry Farm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the person who took me like reprimanded me because I wouldn't go on...
0: I hate that. That pisses me off.
1: Montezuma's Revenge. I'd go on Boomerang, but I wouldn't go on Montezuma's Revenge. Yeah. Or vice versa. It was something like that. Yeah. So it made it an extra layer of... Not enjoying it because I was getting reprimanded for not being comfortable with something, yeah, and not caving into peer pressure, which I think is a valuable lesson to incorporate for sure. I have no problem with them now, but at the time I was just like, "Fuck you! I don't feel comfortable with this. Yeah, lay off me." I can't really think of. I don't have a lot of big time childhood fears like that.
0: Yeah, I, I had a couple that were kind of like you know could be written off as just silly fears that a lot of kids have or that isn't surprising for a kid to have. But then there was like some real world shit that I was afraid of too. So that absolutely counts. And it could be stuff that you're still afraid of now, but maybe it doesn't take over your mind quite as much. Because I know a couple for me, I I still have them, but it's not like on my mind most of the time. (laughs) But if it were to happen, I'd be scared.
1: (laughs) Well, why don't you lay down what you got, and if I have something else that comes to mind, I'll
0: spit it out at the end. Okay, so I'll try to go in chronological order (laughs) from (laughs) when these fears surfaced. But there was a brief period of time... And this one I talked about in our Nightmare on Elm Street episode, where I was petrified of Cookie Monster because of a nightmare that I had about him coming off of a mural on my wall and scaring me. So I was not down with Cookie Monster after that for a long time. Actually, I was never really into Cookie Monster after that. You're still not. I'm still not. I mean, you know, I like him. He makes me laugh, but he's definitely not my favorite Sesame Street character. Elmo is.
1: elma gets all the attention
0: i also am a big fan of grover and oscar the grouch so
1: i was an oscar fan
0: i got love to go around i don't save it all for elma oscar's the shit but yeah i was super scared of cookie monster for a while and then also this started basically when i was a toddler and it went on for several years my grandpa actually helped me get over this fear and i still kind of have it but nowhere near to the same degree but i was absolutely terrified of water And not just swimming, not just going in the ocean or being in deep water. Like, I didn't even like the shower going over my head when I was a toddler. I would freak out.
1: You might be an alien if M. Night Shyamalan aliens exist. I,
0: I wonder sometimes because I still don't like water. I don't like being cold and wet. I'm not super crazy about swimming in the ocean, which is an understatement. I don't swim in the ocean. But it's less to do with being afraid at this point and more to do with just not liking being cold and wet or having things swim around my feet. But I was absolutely terrified of water. My grandpa actually helped me get over that fear. He would uh, take me up to, like, drinking fountains and just kind of splash it and play with it. And then it was he basically did, like, exposure therapy with me over a very short period of time. And I, I trusted him so much and felt so comfortable with him that we eventually graduated to going to the beach and me playing in the water at the beach. So I guess I have him to thank for getting me over that. Which is awesome. (laughs) Uh another one which is no surprise to you because I still kinda have it. I was of course afraid of the dark as a kid. I still am, a little bit. Depends on the situation. But I think this kind of ties in to my fear of the dark. But I also really, really didn't like when I was a kid being the last person awake in the house. Yeah. That made me super nervous and I I couldn't sleep very well if I was the last person awake and everyone else was asleep. I was totally opposite. I
1: love the dark. I always wanted to have my door shut. I wanted the lights out. I never wanted, you know, like, the little nightlight or anything like that. And I always loved being... I actually would stay up because I wanted to be the last one to bed.
0: I definitely feel that way now. And, like, once I got older and into middle school and high school, I loved just being up all night and being the only one awake. But when I was a kid and I had to go to bed, like, I had a bedtime, and I would just be laying there. And I shared a room with my brother at the time. So he'd be asleep. My parents were asleep. And I would just be... Listening to the sounds of the house and outside and just feel almost feeling like I had to stand guard or something. Like I couldn't go to sleep because I was the only one awake now. And right. I would be the only one who heard something. Which ties into my biggest fear when I was a kid. Which was, I, I also talked about this in the Nightmare on Elm Street episode. I had this paralyzing fear of being kidnapped. I was absolutely terrified that I was going to be kidnapped, taken away from my parents. Like I had major stranger danger awareness I was a young murderino but it was like to the extreme sometimes where I would just I would think about it so much and it would keep me up at night sometimes and I'd have nightmares about it
1: well that came from a specific place
0: yeah it's 100% I said it before it's my grandma's fault (laughs) she she put the fear in me because she was always saying things like, oh, careful, someone's going to grab you, or lock the doors. Like, she was super, super vigilant about locking the doors and keeping a loaded gun in her house, and just still is. Like, if you don't knock first, she might shoot you if you come in. Yeah. To this day. Like, you have to announce your presence very loudly before you come in. I don't blame her. I don't blame her either, but when I was eight, I was pretty scared. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. Oh, this one is kind of interesting. I was actually Googling today to see how common this was for kids, and I guess it's actually pretty common. I felt like it was a kind of, kind of a weird thing when I was a kid, but I had this intense fear of masks when I was really young. I can see that. Yeah, and not just like Halloween masks, but um, particularly, like my grandparents would travel all over the world and bring home different antiques that they would get from different countries, and there was this one time where they brought home these masks from Indonesia They were kind of these tribal looking masks. I don't even remember what they looked like or remember this happening, but they had them up on the wall and I I had always been afraid of masks up until this point anyway, but I came over and when I saw these, I was so scared of them that my reaction to those masks freaked out my grandparents enough that they put them away and never took them out again.
1: Do they still have them? Yeah. I want to see them
0: so bad, but my grandma won't take them out. Really? She's sketched out. Yeah.
1: Of all the things that she had Of all the things,
0: I guess I was so terrified that they took it as, like, a bad sign and they put them away. (laughs) I've always loved travel
1: masks. I think they're so neat.
0: Yeah. I like them now, but even the mask with Jim Carrey traumatized me the first time I saw that.
1: I think that scared a lot of kids, actually. Oh, my God.
0: See, that makes me feel better because my parents were shocked that that scared me because I liked so many scary things, even from a young age. But I saw that movie pretty early and the scene where he first puts it on and it, you know, wraps around his face and he's screaming and his face is like contorting, like that just, I was not cool with that. And I loved that movie, so eventually I would just skip that part and then watch the rest of the movie. I knew where it was, so I'd fast forward it. <laughs> there was also a scene in Snow White that scared the shit out of me. It was when the um, the queen turns into the witch. I didn't like that. And pretty much all of Pinocchio freaked me out.
1: I've noticed that you don't, you have a history of being afraid of transformation.
0: especially when I was a kid like changing faces or people or things changing form freaked me out I think it was like a trust issue thing I don't know like you're not not who I thought you are and I think that's why as an adult it has morphed into me hating clowns because I wasn't afraid of clowns when I was a kid that I can remember I don't know when that started, and it's not to the point where, you know, I have, like, a phobia of clowns where I lie awake at night thinking about it. Well, sometimes I do, but but I, I find them really creepy, and I don't like to be near them. It's probably that same kind of brain logic. Yeah. Where it's just somebody, like, hiding their face or changing their form, and I don't like it. I feel
1: that. like it's a little different, though.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love costumes. I love Halloween costumes and scary shit, but, yeah, like, masks and... Morphing faces, like the okay, the scene or melting faces, like the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they open the ark, also scared the shit out of me as a kid.
1: Well, I was thinking about you talking about your grandpa, like shaving his beard or something like that. Or oh, he he shit. grew a beard. He grew a beard,
0: and I was not cool with it. Yeah, this has been Psychology Hour with Greg and Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a time in your childhood where you were genuinely concerned about quicksand? Quicksand? Yeah. No. No, you never thought, like, oh shit, I hope I never <laughs> run into quicksand. I
1: mean, maybe if you're watching, like, Jumanji or something. <laughs> That's what i like, was saying. Like, you see it in a
0: movie and you're like, oh my god, this is yet another thing, another threat in the world that I have to watch out for, quicksand. The earth will open and swallow me up if I'm not You careful. did
1: remind me, I guess I did have a bit of a fear of, more of a real world one, of people breaking into the house
0: yeah well, and that not necessarily huge yeah.
1: kidnapping or anything, but more I was more worried about like a murder or especially I think I had issues with it all makes sense when I really think about it, but I had issues with an aspect of a lack of control of the situation and not mm-hmm. being able to protect my family. yeah and I remember being afraid that I was too young and too small and too weak to be able to defend my family and so them going after my mom or my sisters yeah and trying to do something and not being able to
0: I 100% get that I think that's actually probably why I was afraid to be the last person awake at night because I felt like if I go to sleep there's nobody left awake who can do something if something happens that's
1: what made me think about it because I remember actually doing that like being the person that would be listening for things. Like standing and, guard. Yeah. And I've told stories before. I mean, we did have people that threw a hammer through the window and tried yeah. to break into the house and do stuff like that. So,
0: And that messed with that, your sense of security.
1: Yeah. So I, part of it is that I had legitimate reasons for waiting up at night and listening for these things because we had experienced them.
0: Totally. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, I wish for me it wasn't quite so extreme because it really did keep me up at night and I was truly terrified a lot of the time but okay now all better <laughs> also okay, i'll do one more that was kind of funny I, w- I was briefly very concerned about tornadoes after seeing twister even though we don't have them here i just i felt like it was going to happen yeah. i'd have dreams about it i would be super freaked out like oh my gosh we don't have storm shelters here in southern california what would we do what's the strategy i would be like trying to make a plan for and a strategy my parents were like dude we don't have tornadoes here strategy
1: is live in california do worry worry about tornadoes just
0: earthquakes fires and tsunamis <laughs> But then there would be, like, that odd news article that said something about a water spout off the coast or something. And I'm like, see, this is why we cannot let our guard down about tornadoes.
1: I had a friend, not so much my, it was more like a friend of a friend, in high school whose house was destroyed by a tornado in California. (gasps) And it was the sad, it was actually somewhere near Huntington Beach. It was the most freak, rogue thing. And it just came up, destroyed their house. And nothing else in the neighborhood or anywhere near it was affected and it only lasted oh for a split second. I'm like, how unlucky do you have to be to have your house <laughs> your house
0: They were smoked destroyed? by a tornado. <laughs> they,
1: they were smoked.
0: That would fuck. It was the most of
1: odd, odd oh bizarre thing I would ever heard at the time. I was like, Are you fucking kidding me? Oh
0: my god. See, that's exactly the kind of thing I was afraid of. <laughs> Does happen. Damn. And then, you know, of course, I, as everyone is, I was afraid of the usual dark stuff. Like, once I became aware of death and dying, I was afraid of my family dying, my parents dying, yeah, getting hit by a car, all that stuff. So there was the death thing for a while. But like I talked about in our very first episode, that's what got me into horror was that initial fear of death when I realized what it was and I understood it. And then horror helped me process those feelings. Well, that was all I had for my list. Was there anything else that you wanted to add before we get into the movie?
1: No, nothing in particular.
0: Okay. Well, let's get into it. So we are talking again about It from 2017, directed by Andy Muschietti, as he was referred to in the interviews. <laughs> so hopefully I'm not butchering it. So as I mentioned earlier, this movie is about, it's a re-adaptation of the famous Stephen King novel. As I mentioned earlier, it follows a group of seven kind of outcast kids referred to who refer to themselves as the Losers Club. They're growing up in a town called Derry, Maine. Where every 27 to 30 years, as they will soon find out, an alien entity emerges from its slumber to take the form of a clown to prey on and kill children.
1: Which is really terrifying when you think about it.
0: It is. I was actually thinking about that when I was thinking about this episode and researching this movie. It's kind of like... Nightmare on Elm Street, where I've seen that movie so many times and I have seen so many other things that scare me a lot more. So when I watch this movie, I don't feel scared. But just like with Freddy Krueger, I feel like that is such a terrifying concept.
1: It really is. And it's also just iconic and classic Stephen King.
0: Yes. This is 100% one of his most pivotal stories.
1: But I mean, it's just so Stephen King to have a interdimensional space monster that feeds on children.
0: Yes. Stephen King, if if you're not all aware already, uh, loves dead children. He loves killing kids. (laughs) Loves killing kids. He has no qualms about offing kids in his books. No. None whatsoever. So I originally saw this movie in theaters when it came out. I went and saw it with my dad and I was really excited about it because I, of course, grew up with the 1990 miniseries with Tim Curry And I loved that as a kid. I thought it was excellent. So seeing the trailer for part one and seeing, even from the commercials, I could see the chemistry between the kids and the Losers Club and the humor and just that that warmth that I love so much about Stephen King stories and the movie adaptations. Like that really came through for me, just seeing the previews. So I was really excited to go see this one. And I had a wonderful time. In the theater. I had such a good time that I made you come back with me to see it again for a second time. And I had a great time the second time as well.
1: I had a great time. I was much better in the theater than for a first time overall. Because I remember really enjoying it. I was taken aback by how much I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. It's far better than I thought it was going to be. I never got into the TV miniseries version of it. I remember my older sister being scared of it my mom being scared of it when it came out and my sister in particular I remember her being she was in high school and she, she like straight up went to take a shower for a month and oh my they were God. all like begging her because she stank. <laughs> and uh I don't know if she'll fess up to it now but she was like terrified to go in the shower so she would start doing like hobo baths at the sink but oh, she man. like would not go into the shower for a while because she was terrified of that scene apparently
0: <laughs> that was a good scene
1: yeah and I briefly remember seeing clips as a kid of the library scene with Tim Curry, and maybe a couple others, but I don't know for a fact that I've actually seen the entire miniseries, and if I did, it certainly didn't leave an impression.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll say up front, it's not great, it doesn't hold up super well, and it has the same problem that this adaptation has, where... It's really charming and hits all the right notes when it focuses on the Losers' Club as kids, but it really suffers during the adult part on both adaptations. it just it doesn't work.
1: Are you talking about it too now?
0: Yeah, just the whole story. like the mini series is um the way that it that it was filmed was it's like back and forth for the entire three hours instead of half of it being when they're kids and the other half being when they're adults. It's just back and forth. And the parts in the 1990 miniseries when they were adults was just not very good. Oh, okay. Just like with chapter two of this adaptation. But the stuff with the kids was great. There were a couple scenes that, to this day, I still think hold up really well and are really scary for the 1990 miniseries. And of course, Tim Curry's Pennywise is just iconic. He was fantastic.
1: That's Tim Curry. Yeah. I
0: Also, just side note, listeners, I'll leave this in if we're not able to edit it out, but apologies because it sounds like our neighbor is possibly holding a rave in his apartment. So if you hear thumping and hooting and hollering, humble apologies. Yes. That being said, you know, this time around, watching this movie at home out of the theaters for the first time, I, I didn't love it quite as much. And I definitely feel like this movie was meant for the big screen. So I definitely wasn't scared like I thought I was going to be, like I was in the theaters, and I wasn't super enthralled watching it. But now that a couple days have gone by and I've had time to kind of sit with it and think about it and read about it, I do have a lot of good things to say about this movie. And overall, I think it is a very good horror movie.
1: I do too. I certainly believe it's a better theatrical experience.
0: 100%, yeah.
1: I also believe it's a meant for a one-time watch more than a repeatability.
0: I think so too.
1: And I have to give credit that it has brought horror and arguably good horror to a mainstream audience.
0: Absolutely. This was, when I went to go see this movie, it was a packed theater. It was close to opening weekend. I mean, it felt like an event going to see this movie. It was just a really great horror experience with the horror community. Everybody was into it. Everybody was scared at, at the same moment of the same things. There were there was jumping, there was screaming at all the right moments and it was just a fun experience. And I liked it so much that, like I said, I went back to see it a second time with you and I loved it the second time. It was very effective.
1: In this type of filming that they do in this, there's a lot of CGI and a lot of big scares, I'll call them, mm-hmm. that are much more effective and designed for a theater. And you watch it at home, it's still moderately impressive, I guess. Not so much on multiple iterations of watching it. But the effects are greatly dulled having it as a home theater view versus the theatrical.
0: Definitely. And I actually did do some research on that because I wanted to look into exactly which parts were really CGI in this movie because I kind of catch myself sometimes being... I don't want to say a little pretentious, but I I feel like I'm a little too critical sometimes of some newer horror movies. And I think this is a problem with a lot of people in my age group where we get even the faintest hint of CGI and we just write it off completely and we automatically hate it and think it's stupid. And I definitely caught myself doing that a few times with this movie where I would just kind of roll my eyes and be like, oh my gosh, like more CGI, I'm so sick of this. What happened to practical effects? But you know, after looking it up, there really isn't as much CGI in this movie as we think there is. Most of the effects are practical, and a lot of the effects that we do see. I'll I'll bring up a couple scenes as an example, are camera tricks rather than CGI. There are parts, of course, that are CGI. Like, for example, the very beginning with the Georgie bite. That didn't look good on a third watch at home when he opens up his mouth and clamps down on Georgie's arm. Mm -hmm. When he's crawling away, it looks good. Yeah. But the initial bite, you can absolutely tell it's CGI. doesn't look great. But that was very hard to film, very hard to do that practically, so they didn't really have an option. But then the projector scene, which I thought was fantastically executed, especially in the theater. That was awesome. Yeah. That was a practical effect, which is so cool. Yeah. And the way that they were able to do that is something called forced perspectives, which is basically just an optical illusion with very specific camera placement and timing that makes things either look much larger or much smaller than they actually are. So, you know, the first thing that came to mind was like Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies or the Hobbits in Lord of the Rings. They used forced perspective to make the Hobbits look very small and to make Hagrid look gigantic. So that's what... I was impressed when I read that. Yeah. And then, of course, Pennywise's makeup is practical. The leper that chased Eddie was practical, except for one of his eyes, which I actually thought that was CGI before. And it didn't look bad. I just found... I caught myself being, like, irritated that it was... I was assuming it was CGI, and I was irritated automatically. Yeah, after reading that, I kind of took a step back, and it made me appreciate this movie a lot more, and just kind of makes me want to think a little more the next time I want to write something off because I assume it has a lot of CGI or I'm automatically mad because of that because then you have at the beginning of the movie when it's raining the rain is CGI that looks fantastic no complaints there when they're in the sewers and you see outside behind them all of that outside scenery is CGI Yeah. Looks great.
1: Well, it's easier to do background stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it was just kind of... It was nice to read that because it kind of made me check myself a little bit for just being a little too up my own ass, you know?
1: (laughs) Check yourself.
0: I checked myself, but...
1: (laughs) Well, good job. Good for you. Thank (laughs) you.
0: There was also, which I know is is your favorite scene and one of my favorite scenes, the flute lady, the painting was, of course, CGI. And a lot of people really didn't like that scene, I've learned. And they, they thought that it looked terrible. I thought that that was so well done and so creepy and yes she did look fake but i feel like that's the point because it's a painting yeah she looked like a painting
1: also it's a childhood fear yeah it's supposed to be not necessarily a realistic thing i i loved that scene that was still my favorite scene the idea like again i've i've talked about that one painting that my or art piece of art that my uncle had, and I feel like I've done that with other things in the past too, with other pieces of art where you walk by them and they just freak you out for some reason, yeah. or you get a bad vibe about them. And so that whole scene where he is kind of creeped out by it, and then it knocks on the floor, you know, falls off the wall,
0: yeah, and, and then, then he when puts he picks it, back it up, up and
1: it's gone, fuck, <laughs> and then you like hear the flute. I love that scene. That was
0: brilliant. That was such a a genius scare, in my opinion. I thought that was. was so well executed. And I feel like that... I assumed that that would have landed with the audience so well. Because everybody has experienced something like that. Like that kind of fear where you pass by a picture that creeps you out. Or you walk extra fast down the hallway after you turn the light off. Or you leap across the room and jump onto your bed after turning the light off. Yes. Everybody has felt that.
1: Yeah, to me that was one of the most realistic fears and well executed portrayals of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I don't know about you, but I thought that the to put it lightly, the beginning of this movie was a bold move.
1: It was bold, and upon a second watch, again there's that CGI bite. Aside from that, this is a very solid beginning to the movie. It sets a great tone It's well orchestrated. I'm a big fan. I know you are too. You brought it up where I feel like there must be a word for it. There is. You have the word?
0: I have the word. Are you talking about when we have this wonderful, eerie piano music playing? And then as we get a tour of the neighborhood and Bill's house, we see that his mom is the one playing piano? Yes. Yes. So the music we're hearing is actually coming from this cinematic world Um, that's actually called diegetic sound.
1: I feel like you've think it before. I
0: think I have, and it's such a, a strange word. It doesn't sound like no. what it is that I always forget it, but it's called diegetic sound.
1: Diegetic? Yeah. Sounds almost like a medical condition. It does, yeah. <laughs> like a digestive thing. I don't know.
0: Diegetic sound. I love that, too, though, when we're panning through the neighborhood and there's just that beautiful, swelling, melancholy piano music playing. It's very eerie and creepy. There's a huge storm raging. The house is painted this bluish-black color... It's very drab and dreary inside, and then there's the shot of Bill's mother just playing that tune on the piano. In the and background, that's yes. where the music is coming from. Yeah, I'm a so cool.
1: big fan of diegetic.
0: Yeah, diegetic sound. <laughs>
1: diegetic sound. Apparently, <laughs> I never thought I would you know, I know. <laughs> utter those words. I know, <laughs> but I am. I like it when there is a legitimate reason for a score or yes. for music, and it makes it. Uh, more impactful, because you know that what you're hearing and influencing, or what is influencing you musically, is also influencing the characters.
0: Yeah, very cool. And that's, you know, within the first minute and a half of the movie. And then we meet Bill and his younger brother, Georgie. And Georgie is just the cutest damn kid.
1: Of course they had to get the oh cutest kid in the He's world so to have his cute. arm bit off and then eaten by it. <laughs>
0: When I saw this in theaters for the first time, I was not prepared for that scene. That truly shocked and horrified me. I clapped my hand to my mouth. I was shaken up. And I was like, okay, I, you have my attention. This is this movie's not fucking around. This is a serious horror movie. Let's go. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. That was a good intro. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Solid. I also really loved with this Pennywise, uh, Bill Skarsgård's interpretation of Pennywise. I'll just say, like, he had very big clown shoes to fill after Tim Curry, and I really appreciated that instead of trying to emulate him, he took the role and just made it completely his own. I thought he did an amazing job. He was scary as hell.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know that you can really argue against that. Yeah. And anybody that does is being about as pretentious as they possibly can be. Yeah. Because he did a phenomenal job objectively, and then taking into consideration what he was having to live up to and generations that had grown up with Tim Curry, Tim Curry's interpretation of it and having to try to do something new with that. You know, I got to give him a hand for that. Yeah. And how well he did it. It actually kind of a little bit of a tangent here, but that seems to be an ongoing theme I've noticed in not just horror movies, but somehow the more recent actors that are taking on iconic roles I'm only really having one that's coming to mind, so I guess I can't really call that a, a pattern. But I was just thinking of Joker with, with, Heath, Ledger. with Heath Ledger. And now we have Bill Skarsgård playing It. And I'm sure there's others, too, that I can't really think of at the yeah. top of my head. But it's a pretty big role to fill. And having to do that in light of someone else having done a phenomenal performance beforehand and reinventing that role is impressive.
0: And he also wasn't the first choice for this role. So that was even more pressure on him. The original person who was cast to play Pennywise was actually Will Poulter, who we know from Midsummer. He's the funny friend when they do Mushrooms. He's the one that's like, I can't be around new people right now. And he was also in that Bandersnatch movie. He's a British actor.
1: I'm sure I know him will show You'll know
0: him if you saw him. Yeah, but he would have been fantastic too. But There were a lot of production issues and delays with this movie. They went through a couple different directors, and eventually when they were able to start production again, Will Poulter was unable to do it because he had scheduling conflicts because it had been a couple years since he had been cast for the role. So they had to hold auditions again, and then Bill Skarsgård auditioned for the part and just knocked it out of the park. Oh, that's awesome. I actually watched his audition video and it was really good. Oh, nice! In interviews, he's just a very nice-looking young man, in my opinion. But then seeing him like turn that off and be Pennywise in that audition, like without the makeup, was really unsettling. He nailed it. What did you think of? They show it first when he's talking to Georgie in the sewer, when he just drools excessively and then one of his eyes occasionally just drifts off to the side.
1: I read about that. I thought that was pretty awesome how both the drooling aspect as well as the eyes are original aspects of the character. A, or the uh, prosthetic teeth that he had to wear apparently made him drool a lot.
0: Yeah, and he just like went with it.
1: And the director <laughs> went with it. Nice. Because they were originally just going to try to like clean it up and yeah. do stuff in between apparently. Yeah. But the director was like, no, this fucking works. This is, you know, it kind of brings about that ravenous aspect of it and yeah. it really does make it a little bit more terrifying because especially in that first scene here you get kind of a weird clown and obviously it's already fucking freaky and you know what he is because we all know what it is but at the same time once you see him trying to put on a facade to lure Georgie in and while he's doing it you get those moments where he kind of halts or breaks like, he kind of pauses, and he's not in it anymore. Yeah. He can't, like, put on the front. Yes. And part of that is that drooling to me. Like, he can't hold it back. So I thought that was a great, fun thing. Yes. That it was not necessar- necessarily initially planned to have that as part of the character.
0: I loved that so much. And I also feel like that interpretation of Pennywise was, to me, a little bit closer to what Pennywise actually is. So Tim Curry's interpretation and his performance was just off the charts good. He was charming as hell, he was funny, and he was terrifying. But if you think of what it is, it is a foreign entity from outer space that is almost Lovecraftian in nature. Like, humans cannot comprehend his true form or its true form. It slumbers for... A certain period of time and then feeds on people's fear by taking the form of what scares them the most. Like It's very Lovecraftian very. and very inhuman. I mean, that's an understatement. So for this thing to then have to try to understand how to act like a human clown, you're going to have those kind of glitches and weird off-putting moments that remind you that this thing is not of this world.
1: And then you were mentioning the eyes as well. Yes. I was reading that I think it was during his interview i don't you east hall's interview so i don't know if it was then or maybe a little bit later but the director was mentioning that post-production they're going to make the eyes go off in different directions yeah
0: and he's like no and I can he's do like that. oh i can
1: do yeah. that and so all that's actually bill skarsgård yeah whenever time i thought that was i <laughs> thought great. for sure those were cgi
0: yeah and his no his eyes just drifting off to the side and then it comes back yeah oh man
1: that's really a nice little touch they have there
0: Definitely. So so, bravo to Bill Skarsgård for that performance, because that was fantastic. And I, I'm sure we'll get back to him in time, but I feel like we should get to the real stars of this movie, which is the members of the Losers Club.
1: Yeah, again, there's something about the Stephen King kids and that whole upbringing of kids hanging out together and facing weird adults and just growing up and having to deal so with all well. that Stand By Me, obviously, is just iconic yeah. when it comes to that. And I don't really know of any other movies that did that before that movie came out. And it's just a classic thing, and I can't, I, I can't get enough of it. Same. I don't feel like it's... I've never seen one that was really done bad. And even when a movie is bad, usually that aspect of the movie is still good. So this is a very strong point for the movie, is just having this group of phenomenal child actors and characters interacting with each other
0: yeah and they are just amazing all of them all the kids are fantastic and you know again I'll just emphasize that this movie was definitely made for the big screen in a lot of ways the scares in particular and that made it such a fun experience in the theater but it's really the chemistry between the kids and their interactions and the time we get to spend with them that sustains this as a very good movie. Yes. I think this is a very good movie. Even if I didn't love it as much this time around, I think I, I went into it expecting it to still scare me, and it didn't, and I was a little disappointed by that. But looking back on it, again, with hindsight, it's a great movie. That's good. It's definitely yeah.
1: a solid movie.
0: I like it a lot. Oh, just a side note real quick. I know that I uh, Finn Wolfhard plays Richie in this movie, We know him from Stranger Things, but like I said before, this movie had a lot of production delays, and initially the Duffer brothers who created and directed Stranger Things actually really wanted to direct this movie, and this was before they did Stranger Things, but they were rejected by the studio because they didn't have enough experience. So then they went on to create Stranger Things with Finn Wolfhard, and it's one of my favorite things ever. And it has that same, you know, stand-by-me group of kids growing up together vibes. It was also at one point going to be directed by Carrie Fukunaga, who did Maniac on Netflix, which I love, and True Detective.
1: Well, he was a writer, right?
0: Yeah, he was was a writer. He worked on the screenplay for this, but he was initially supposed to direct it as well. And I I don't remember what happened with him, but something went wrong and now it was uh, Andy Muschietti.
1: Well, he did a fine job. He did. So what were some of your favorite scenes in this?
0: Well, definitely... This time around, in particular, the moments with the Losers Club really stuck out to me and will hold a special place in my heart, but I really enjoyed the first sequence at the school where we're kind of getting to know each of them individually, and I I also really appreciated that we got one-on-one time with almost all of them. It's fantastic character development. It was very good pacing, and it just gave us a chance to get to know and care about each one of these members, so there's the scene in the school where we have Eddie, Richie, Stan, and Bill, initially, who, who are like the core of what they deem themselves the Losers Club, <laughs> because they're kind of social outcasts. They get picked on by the notoriously brutal and psychopathic 80s bullies. Who will fucking s- kill you. They will, it's no understatement in this movie. Henry Bowers and his gang will fucking kill you. Yeah. They'll have no qualms about it. So they're dealing with that. And then we have Ben, who is the new kid, Bev, who is also a social outcast. And then we have Mike, who we meet pretty early on as well. So we kind of get a little window into each of their lives. And pretty quickly, we start to realize that they are all experiencing these terrifying encounters with it. And it is manifesting itself as their individual fears. So I really enjoyed those scenes where we get that one-on-one time with each of them. And it's not any specific scene really, but I laughed so much at the banter between Eddie and Richie, just the constant bickering back and forth with those two. Absolutely. Oh my god! Like Richie is supposed to be the quote-unquote funny one in the group, and he's hilarious. But Eddie, but Eddie is the funniest one in my opinion. He is just I, goddamn he was hilarious. hilarious.
1: There was a scene where. <laughs> I don't. I think somebody mentioned to him where he's like, "Oh, it's in my second fanny
0: pack." Yeah, i like, fucking "You have a second me. fanny Eddie's <laughs> just—he was my favorite in the original too. Even adult Eddie in the original, I just—I loved him so much. But he's a hypochondriac. He's super paranoid. He's very paranoid, but he takes no shit from his friends. Like no. he will one hundred percent. He is stand up for incredibly
1: himself. Incredibly confident in his yes. decisions to
0: be cautious. Yes, and I relate to that hard like that. I feel that in my soul. <laughs> so Eddie is my favorite. Yeah, their their music. banter
1: is definitely a highlight of the movie.
0: Yeah. And I guess uh, I had read that most of that was improvised nice. between the two of them. But I just thought I got a kick out of it every time where, you know, you and I are, of course, cracking up every time Richie opens his mouth and says something just off the charts and vulgar for a 13, 14 year old. I don't know old they are. Just the non reactions from his friends is even funnier to me because they are so used to his shit. They don't even react anymore. Every once in a while, they'll say, shut up, Richie, but they never, ever laugh at his jokes. They're so sick of his shit. It's just another day to them. They don't react to it. And I found that incredibly funny.
1: Or there's a few scenes where he says something that's just so uncouth, if you will, that even his friends are like, dude, too far. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Richie, That's what I'm saying. Like, when they do react, it's usually to tell him to shut up or that he went too far. But that felt so realistic to me because we all know one hundred percent that is how kids talk when adults aren't around. Oh,
1: one I I remember being in middle school yeah. and high school. I'm like
0: That's the anytime kind of shit I they hear someone say. that
1: says something like, oh, you know, they're being so so vulgar for that age or it yeah. doesn't make any I'm like, like You don't You know. don't remember. You
0: don't know. You just don't yeah. remember.
1: You're not remembering what you were doing at thirteen years old. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that translated really well for me. That yeah. worked for me.
1: And on the same token you have the indifference of the friends. I remember specifically having specific friends that were like Richie in a way. Yeah, they could not help it. They couldn't help it. They yeah. had to say the most vulgar shit they could possibly think and of. And you just constantly. stop reacting. And you're just like, dude, shut
0: up. <laughs> or you just don't even it doesn't <laughs> That's what even I mean. register. What a little
1: bit of a little bit do do little bit you a do bit of a that's your only yeah. reaction eventually <laughs> at some point.
0: <laughs> it's like when you and I just randomly make weird noises out of nowhere and the other person just doesn't even notice it because we're so used to it.
1: Yeah, or just sings a weird tune.
0: Yeah, or or goes along with it, you know. It's, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed the banter between Beverly and Ben. Ben, ben is just so goddamn cute. I loved Ben.
1: I actually, I, I gotta say... I feel I have a little bit of a soft spot for Ben and the fact that I remember being, I was kind of a chubby kid. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as big as Ben was, but, yeah. you know, I was kind of a chubby kid. And I was a reader. I was sensitive. I liked poetry. And yeah. I remember specifically, like, writing a poem to the cheerleader head cheerleader in middle school that I had had a crush on since like sixth grade and stuff like that and just being a total outcast and never having a chance so I thought that was really a cute thing between them and then the fact that you have Beverly that's kind enough and genuine enough to see Ben as a person and connect with him you know I thought that was a, a really neat relationship that they had.
0: It was. It was very, very touching. And I have to say the poem that Ben writes to Bev is good.
1: Definitely not bad. I was
0: impressed. Well done. Well played. Probably
1: a lot better than mine were. I don't remember where the hell oh, I'm
0: sure you're a good writer. I'm sure they were You're fired. gonna laugh so
1: hard did I tell you that I actually got her a, a Snoopy.
0: Yes. I did <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I'm just like Thanks. 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 Well her loss. <laughs> <So lame. laughs> Oh, man, that's really funny to think I, about. I've done things like that, too, where I, I had a crush on somebody, and I bought them a dumb gift. There was actually this guy I liked in high school, and I bought him a gift. It was like a bobblehead thing, like collector's thing. And it turns out that another girl who was really good friends with him who also had a crush on him had already bought him that same thing, and she was really mad at me, and I felt really bad, and I never talked to him again. Oh, man. <laughs> I was like, you, you know what? Up? It's not worth the fight. You can have them. <laughs> you oh, okay? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've been there. I feel it.
1: If I had any dignity, I'd be embarrassed, but I don't.
0: You shouldn't be embarrassed. You should be proud. It's very sweet what you did. proud of my Snoopy. Yeah. It's very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there were more I could get into, but how about you? What were some of your favorite scenes?
1: Well, aside those that I've already mentioned, or we've already mentioned, as far as scares go... Top three. Okay. Number one in the theaters was probably the projector.
0: That was awesome.
1: That was really fucking cool in the theaters. And now that you have enlightened me that that was not CGI, but indeed a practical camera trick, I have even more respect for that scene.
0: That was just a bitchin' jump scare. It
1: was. That was a good jump scare. That was
0: well-crafted and well-earned.
1: So that was probably number one on the scares. Number two would probably have to be the one I already mentioned. I just love that. The painting. painting.
0: That's great, yeah. Just because
1: it's a personal thing for me. And the last one, I don't think that there was anything too much more that I felt was like full-blown scary. Actually, that's a lie. If I'm going to say something, it would be what we've already mentioned as well as the beginning scene with Georgie.
0: That was jarring as hell. That yeah. That was just really upsetting. Even
1: aside from seeing the bite, which I honestly feel like maybe they could have done without, just the back camera view of Georgie trying to get away with his one amputated arm and that little rain check jacket and crying and the blood slurring everywhere Ugh. and it dragging him in, that was a fantastic horror scene. Yeah. Like, I didn't need that cheesy bite. I could have just kind of seen it coming and then had that other scene afterwards. Yeah. And had it be just as impactful, I think.
0: That was something else.
1: So those those are my top three scare scenes, I guess.
0: Yeah, those How are great. You? So I have one overlap. So of course the painting is on my list. I just thought, you know, like we said, that was just a perfect throwback to the things that scared us all when we were kids, and it was so creepy and so creative. I give it points for being both clever and incredibly creepy. And I also really loved just tied to the same scare when they're in the tunnels later and they're looking for. Pennywise because Bev has been taken and they get separated at one point and they find Stan and it's the painting lady again and her face is just like clamped over his head and she's just like sucking on his face. Yeah. That was fucked up. Yeah it was. (laughs) Really liked that and she has like these, it's kind of like the ballerinas in Cabin in the Woods which is like the rows and rows of teeth for her Mm -hmm. face just clamped over his head. Pretty cool. Hellish. I really liked that. Uh, Number two for me was the Georgie Puppet. Oh, that, that's a good it. one.
1: That is a good one.
0: That just had layers of terror for me. Just the whole build up to that where Bill is missing his brother terribly. They've already experienced really messed up shit. He still believes that there's a possibility that his little brother is out there somewhere, that he's alive, because there are a ton of missing kids at this point. And it seems like nobody's looking for them. The adults are all kind of weird and aloof and just apathetic to the struggles of these children and investigating the missing kids. So Bill has kind of taken it upon himself to find his brother. So he is sitting in his brother's room and crying and then he sees like a shadow on the door, which I also really liked. It was very subtle, but creepy. And then he follows it down to the basement, which we saw earlier, Georgie went down to the basement and he was kind of afraid of it. Cause again, we all have that thing that we're freaked out by when we're kids. And Bill starts to go down the stairs and the basement is flooded and he sees Georgie in his little raincoat standing in the dark on the other side of the basement and his cute little voice saying, I miss you, Billy. I love you. And just talking to him. And then he starts saying creepy ass kid shit. Like we all float down here. You'll float too. And then he starts screaming it and then his voice just is fucked like this demonic distorted voice his flesh starts to decay and as if that's not creepy enough just imagining your baby sibling decaying in front of your eyes screaming in this demonic voice we then pan over to pennywise to his right with his arm up the coat saying the words that georgie is saying and he's literally using this corpse as a puppet
1: yes that was fucking cool (laughs) That was a good scene.
0: (laughs) I really think they could have done without Pennywise rushing at the camera and like that jerky motion. Again, in theaters, it got me. But it doesn't get you again. It's a one-time thing. It's a one-timer. But the first part of that holds up great. My number one scare in this movie and my favorite scene was Bev's bathroom scene.
1: I know that you love that one. Oh my
0: god. I love that scene in the miniseries too, where it's the balloon that comes up from the train and then just like explodes with blood and then it gets all over Bev's face. But they really took that and ramped it up with this one and added a different layer to it. So Bev's dad has always been a creep, which is an understatement. I mean, it's very heavily implied that he is sexually abusing her. Yes. And that's, to me, that's one of the darkest and scariest things in this movie is what Bev is going through. It's such a real terror That so many people experience and there's that scene before a a while before this happens in the bathroom where she's just gotten her first period she's becoming a woman and she's dealing with not only that but the bullying that she experiences at school is specifically centered around her womanhood and people are spreading rumors about her being a quote-unquote slut how she'll sleep with anybody It's, it's all centered around the sexuality that other people have thrust upon her and as a result, understandably, she is dreading this moment where she actually physically becomes a woman. And when she gets home, she goes out and buys tampons for the first time. And she, this is also how she meets the Losers Club, because Ben has been cut up by the bullies, and they're trying to get medical supplies. So she is able to talk to the creep that works at the pharmacy to distract him so that the boys can get the supplies and steal them. And that scene was really unnerving to me, because we get from that scene that she knows a creep when she sees one and she has been exposed to predatory men like this before.
1: And she's so comfortable with
0: it. She knows how to navigate them. She's used to it, yeah. And then she goes home right after this with the box of tampons and she hides them behind her back from her dad. And that scene just gives me goosebumps when he confronts her in the hallway and he picks them up and then he's like, tell me you're still my little girl. And then he grabs her hair and like, sifts it through his hands and just holds it like a creep and she obviously is terrified and wants out of that situation and she goes in the bathroom pretty shortly after this and just hacks off all her hair and she didn't do that in the 1990 miniseries I thought that was a really clever layer that they added to this adaptation where She's basically cutting off her hair as a rejection of her father's inappropriate advances and all of the other things that are associated with womanhood that she is perceiving as negative because of the things that are happening to her. So she cuts off her hair. A lot of it falls down the drain. And then later on uh, after this scene, her dad sees it and says, why'd you do this to your hair? You look like a boy. And you get the impression like, well, that was the point. I want to look like a boy so that you and all the other creeps will leave me the fuck alone and I can just be a kid. Right. So that bathroom scene had so many layers of horror for me, but the execution was just so brilliant. Where she's in there, she's already upset about everything that's been going on. She's already afraid, and then she hears voices of the other missing kids coming up from the drain. And then she goes and gets a tape measure and sticks it down the drain and pulls up clumps of her own hair. And one, the first layer of horror is I am absolutely disgusted and appalled when I pull up clumps of hair from the drain. It makes me gag. I can't do it. So that was layer number one. (laughs) Layer number two is what that clump of hair symbolizes, like this burden that she's trying to rid herself of, coming back to haunt her and trap her. And the hair literally leaps up out of the sink and wraps around her face and drags her down. And then there's just this blood geyser that explodes out of the sink And just covers her face, covers the bathroom. There is not an inch of that wall that isn't covered in blood. Which is also, of course, highly symbolic and terrifying. I just, I thought that was a brilliantly executed scene. 100% my favorite scene in the movie.
1: And to top that off, I think it also speaks volumes that right after that, her dad breaks into the bathroom and he can't see that blood or her and her distress anywhere. And he's basically dismissing her concerns and being like, you've been acting weird. You're concerned about you. You Mm -hmm. need to take it easy.
0: Yeah, then he starts gaslighting her.
1: Yeah. You know, I thought it was, a one, yes, it definitely is an excellent scene, well executed, and it took a very serious subject on multiple layers, as well as just incorporating the horror aspect. Yeah. And tied them all together in a very neat and believable package did you notice that there's virtually no mothers in this movie except for Eddie's mother?
0: Yeah, even with Billy's mother, with you only mother, see her. I did notice that piano. she never speaks.
1: Yeah, you never really see her. No, I did notice none of the that. other mothers really.
0: Yeah, there's Henry's father. There's Mike's uncle. We don't see either one of Ben's parents. Yeah, it, it is mostly um, fathers. It seems like or yeah, father men. figures. Yeah. yeah.
1: The only mother I can really think of is Eddie's.
0: Yeah, and she's fucked up. Yes. She's under some kind of whatever spell it is that keeps the people of this town complacent with what's going on and forget. Well, not only that, but before. she's the
1: reason why Eddie's a hypochondriac, and like I said, that really weird hypochondriac. <laughs> and she's been feeding him placebos and is really. Almost sexual in her own way.
0: Yeah, she kind of gives off like a Munchausen's by proxy vibe. That,
1: but there's also that, I don't know what the word is for it, but I get that impression of, okay. She's like weirdly
0: possessive over him. Yeah,
1: but you know like those mothers that are still breastfeeding when they're like nine? Ew,
0: yeah.
1: It's like that, where it's just inappropriately motherly and inappropriately physical with their child. I just get that, like, yeah. she has too close of a relationship. You get that vibe, yeah. Yeah. And I, Eddie I, wants I don't have up. a right word for it, but... Yeah, like, it's the same realm. It's the same ballpark of women that breastfeed feed their kid well into young adulthood. Or young child. You know what I mean.
0: Yeah, you know, the adults in this are super weird. There's something off about them. And they're apathetic. They don't do anything about the missing kids. I write about it, too. This is part of the manipulative power of it is that it is somehow able to make the people who remain in Derry forget what happened before so that it can keep happening. It can keep doing this. So I, I thought that was very well executed and really added to the isolation of the Losers Club. And it also really emphasized their connection with each other and their dependency on each other.
1: And that is another one of those things that's just, you have to give credit to Stephen King for that type of writing where there's already an isolation being a teenager, but to add that aspect of it as though it's like a horror plot where you feel like there's literally a conspiracy, there's literally a interdimensional entity that is somehow manipulating the adults around you to yeah. perform and be... It's almost a relief if you think about it. If you can actually... I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just coming going off the cuff here, but I'm thinking about it in the fact of Thinking about Beverly and sexual abuse, I'm thinking about the bully and the dad and him being abused and passing that on and all that other kind of stuff. Or it's some seriously dark shit that we're talking about here. And to be able to account for that inappropriate behavior with it being some type of space demon thing is a very childlike reassurance almost.
0: Yeah, it's very cathartic.
1: Yes, because to actually think that this is happening in everyday life and it's not because of it, it's because these people exist and our society produces them is far more terrifying.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: So I guess I I feel like that is more of a childhood way, childlike way to view adults as though they are being manipulated by some dark outside force.
0: Definitely. And maybe that's why part two just doesn't work because they're no longer kids. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't have the same impact at all. Not at all. No, that's, that's a really great insight. I think that definitely makes sense. I don't know. No, I love that. Like I said, overall, I I think this is a very good movie and there are just so many memorable scenes that I love. Like I love the rock war. That was great with the bullies. I love...
1: love when they jump off the cliff.
0: Yeah, that was Which just I such mean, a nice kid moment, like a standby yeah.
1: moment. I will say, I think that my least favorite CGI is actually down in the well.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it's it's cool looking, you know, with all the kids floating around and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I
0: love the floating kids. I wasn't a
1: big fan of that whole well scene.
0: Really? I liked I liked the floating kids and I liked the well scene. And I think that's really where the Lovecraftian element comes in, because that's when you see the deadlights Yes. Which is actually its true form. And spoiler alert, skip ahead 15 seconds if you haven't seen part two, but the true, quote-unquote, true form that we see of Pennywise is the dumb spider crap thing. Apparently that is the closest thing to its true form without manifesting anybody's fears that it can manifest as without driving people insane Yeah. from just looking at it. But the deadlights are its truest form. And just by looking at these deadlights, you go insane. I love that concept. I love the part where Bev is down there and he grabs onto her and his face just opens up. Almost like the Demogorgons in Stranger Things. This flower-like, toothy thing. And then you just see the spinning lights inside. Mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. She didn't go insane. She made it.
1: Well, she kind of did, but then they She did a little bit. They
0: brought her back, yeah. I thought that was really cool. The thing that I hated in that sewer scene that you mentioned was... I liked it when Richie was like... Now you're gonna make me kill this fucking clown. And then they just kick the living shit that was out of it. Yeah. That was great. But then when they fight him off and he's like dangling on the edge of the well, he just looks at them and goes, fear. And then drops down into the wall. It's like, what really? Yeah, that was I know. stupid. That
1: was very It reminded champion. me of
0: the <laughs> Patrick Swayze's role in Donnie Darko, where he's like the <laughs> the motivational speaker. He's like, fear, love.
1: Rejection.
0: <laughs> totally unnecessary, but I know what was those your
1: dying (laughs) words? Fear. Fear.
0: How poetic. I could see where you're coming from. There definitely were some moments in that that underground end scene that were a little bit weaker than the rest of the movie for sure.
1: I guess another complaint, if we're gonna go off complaints a little bit. Sure, let's complain felt like they could I felt bad for Mike I don't feel like he had much of a role
0: yes I have a, a note that Mike deserved more screen time he deserved yes. more
1: screen time I felt like he was kind of forced into it I did I'll, I'll say that I did like the way that the loser Club just accepted him into the fold yeah and brought them under their protection and wing like immediately they're like you are one of us like yeah. I we don't care what your story is what your background is. You're up against these same bullies, you're fighting them, we're helping you, and it is what it is. So I did like that, and I also liked the dialogue that is used with Mike, because mm-hmm. the first thing that we get with him is at his uncle's sheep farm, Yeah. where they're slaughtering the sheep with their pneumatic gun, and his uncle says to him, you're either on this side, you're either inside, or you're outside.
0: Kill or be killed. Basically.
1: Essentially. You know he's trying to get Mike to kill these sheep, and he's yeah. like, "You're either. What side of the gun do you want to be on?" And then Mike is then kind of put into a position where he's on one side or the other with the bully, and he kind of chokes again and almost gets himself killed. And I don't, I don't, not sure where I'm going with this, but I like the way that that unfolded because
0: Mike was the one that kicked Henry down the well, right? He
1: kicked him down the well, yeah. but he was gonna try to shoot him with the pneumatic gun that he had yeah. and he hesitated and he was able to knock it out of his hand or something like that yeah and then he almost got killed with it but i forget exactly what happened like henry yeah, it happened had it to quick. his hand or had it to his head and then i some... think mike
0: just drop kicked him basic or just kicked no, him no something up happened hard.
1: something unusual happened where it disheveled henry yeah it either malfunctioned or something and then you know, at that last moment when it was truly life or death and he had hesitated again and almost died. And then he had that. He had that kind of profound experience. Yeah. But I like that he wasn't just...
0: I'm not sure where I'm going with it. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I like how that came full circle. And and I agree. I wrote a note later into the movie. Like, I really feel like Mike was kind of gypped here and that he deserved way more screen time than he got. And I feel like we got to know all of the other members of the Losers Club on an individual and intimate level a lot more than we got to know yeah. Mike. I and just Mike like plays, he got completely gypped. He did and Mike plays such a pivotal role in the story and particularly in part two because he's the only one that stays in Derry and he's the one that calls them all back when shit goes down again.
1: Oh that's right. I block that whole thing out because it's a piece of shit. Yeah it was but...
0: terrible. <laughs> Spoiler alert we hated chapter two but yeah no I completely agree. I really think Mike deserved more And that was a bummer.
1: Yeah, that
0: was one of my bigger
1: complaints when it comes to the characters and development and all that.
0: Me too. I mean, other than that, I really don't have any complaints. I think this is a a really solid horror movie. I like it a lot. I loved when, speaking of the sewer scene again, I loved when Pennywise is kind of desperately shifting into all of these forms to try to scare the kids one last time. And then he turns into the leper and just turns to Eddie and just profusely barfs all over him. I thought that was great. And also felt so sad for him because he's a, he's a germaphobe and that's like his worst nightmare. Yeah, and I just thought that was great. Super funny and sad, but yeah, I think that the story is solid. The acting and the chemistry with the kids was just 100% the best part of this movie. To me, I also loved when they go to Ben's house and Bev finds out that Ben loves New Kids on the Block and so does she, but she still gives him shit for it. And there's that moment where they lock eyes and she like shuts his door and he's got the New Kids on the Block poster and he's just like shaking his head because he knows the other kids will never let it go. And then she kind of smirks at him and opens it back up again. Yeah. I loved that. I, yeah, their whole thing. <laughs> they're all so great. cute. Yeah, they're all great. Everybody did a great job. Mike got gypped, but the scenes that we did get him, he did a great job. Yeah. I loved everybody. Bill Skarsgård was a great Pennywise. He really, really stepped into that role and made it iconic in his own way. It would have been
1: so easy for that to go downhill or go a different way.
0: And just be like super campy or over the top. I thought he was truly scary. He was tasked with scaring an entire generation again, and he did it. You nailed it.
1: On top of appeasing the previous yes. generation.
0: Yes. So I think those were, those were big shoes to fill, and he did it well.
1: No pun intended. Once no again. pun
0: intended. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really have a soft spot for this movie. I'm sure I'll watch it again. I would really like to watch this with somebody who's never seen it before. I think that would be really fun. But I, you know, overall, my only complaint is one, I think the scares were really geared towards the big screen. It is a little bit over reliant on the jump scares and the shaky camera motions, like the erratic jerking and moving towards the camera. I'm not a huge fan of that. I know it really freaks out some people. It works for some. It doesn't really do it for me. But overall, the rest of the scares, the Georgie puppet, the bathroom scene with Bev, the extremely dark. Subject matter that they deal with, and what I feel is a very tactful way. Mm-hmm. This is a great horror movie, so I'm very fond of it. So, if you're ready, we can move on to the ratings phase. Get I else am to add. ready. Okay, so we rate on a scale of zero to 12 beers, and I'm gonna give it a nine and a half. Nine and a half, I was gonna give it an eight and a half, I bumped it back up to a nine and a half out of 12. That's, That's a solid, completely movie. fair. It's solid. Even if I don't love it as much as I did before, I think that's a completely fair rating.
1: If I were gonna rate it on a one time watch, I would give it a ten.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But upon reflection and a second appraisal, I am going to give it what I consider to be fairly generous as a nine.
0: That's fair. I feel generous. like it's
1: a fair yeah. fair assessment. I
0: mean we gave the last exorcism a nine. Yeah. And I think you gave Sinister a nine. And we like that movie a lot.
1: I feel like nine's just kind of that It's not an amazing movie, but...
0: But it's solid. But
1: it's solid. You can't really knock it that much, you know? Yeah,
0: I think that's great. So, nine and a half for me, nine for you.
1: So, what kind of beer pairs with this solid movie?
0: There's actually a brewery that I've been seeing a lot of their beers at Total Wine, and uh, it's called Clown Shoes. The brewery is called Clown Shoes, and they have tons and tons of different types of beer. So one, I feel like the name of the brewery alone is perfect for this movie, but specifically I think I would pair this one with the Space Cake Double IPA from the Clown Shoes Brewery. One, we know that it is an entity from outer space or another dimension, and kids like cake. So I just threw that together, pulled it out of my ass. That's what I came up with, but I think that would pair nicely with this one.
1: It's as appropriate as it is.
0: And it's fun. It sounds fun. It does. And this movie, it's as dark as it is. It's surprisingly fun.
1: Space Cake? Is that what it's called? Space
0: Cake Double IPA. Space Cake. From Clown Shoes.
1: Well, let's try it.
0: Okay, so this was my pick to kick off spooky season. What are we going to be watching for the second week of October?
1: Well, first off, I want to say a good pick Thank on you. the first scary, spooky movie. Scary, scary. Scary, scary. Sorry. <laughs>
0: We got Scary Scary, and we got Spooky Not Scary. Okay, that's what it is. Scary Scary. It's like the doors in the movie. Very Scary Not Scary. Scary. Okay. (laughs) So this is very scary scary? Yeah, scary. Somewhere in there. Scary Scary.
1: I think that for my pick, I'm going to go for a movie that I feel is... Brings about the essence of just a Halloween-ish horror movie. Okay. And is kind of gory. And just again have brought more of a mainstream base audience to horror movies so we're going to watch the og saw movie
0: all right
1: i also love is it carrie carrie elway carrie elway
0: that's so weird i was thinking about that earlier today about saw
1: yeah yeah i have not seen it in a very long time
0: i can guarantee it's better than you remember i think so too
1: I feel I think I've seen it twice, and both times I was taken aback by how good the original was.
0: It is. I'm excited. I've nice. only
1: seen maybe one or two of the plethora of series that there are. I don't even know which ones I've seen. Yeah. I don't remember liking those all that much.
0: I like two and three, but and I don't three. think they would hold up. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> but I do remember this one being, especially for that kicking off this whole concept and what it was pretty fucking cool. So I'm excited to watch it again.
0: Nice, good pick. I'm excited to revisit that. That one's gonna be fun to talk about. I think so. Awesome. Well as you guys know, you can follow us on Instagram at Blood Fear and Beer podcast and if you have questions for us or move your beer suggestions or if you just want to say hi and chat, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at Blood Fear and Beer at gmail.com and what do our what do our listeners need to know about rate reviewing and subscribing greg
1: fucking do it
0: please do it really helps us out (laughs) and then just another reminder if you do decide to leave us a review please keep it g-rated otherwise apple Podcasts or itunes will pull the review so please remember to keep it g-rated and we really really appreciate it you guys have been awesome this has been Super fun. I'm looking forward to watching Saw. Again, that's going to be fun. And until next time, keep it spooky.
1: Keep it spooky and email us your childhood fears.
0: Definitely.